biggest misconception around commissioning is that it's just functional testing, meaning um, coming up, showing up at the end of the project, looking at what's physically in front of you, and then just quote unquote, testing the equipment, whatever that means. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with a mission to propel this great industry forward. My guest today is Ryan Lean. He serves as associate partner at JBNB and leads the JBNB field, incorporating 10 specific field related services into one comprehensive service offering. Outside the firm, Ryan currently serves as president of the International Board of the Building Commissioning Association. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Thanks, Todd. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's start with how you got into the construction industry to begin with. Oh, boy. Um, so like, uh, like, I'm sure many others just um, you, you go all the way back to high school, I guess. Um, and you're talking with guidance counselors, and you're going through kind of what your career is going to look like and what you should study uh, when you, you know, get shipped off to the university. Um, and, and for me, it was engineering. Um, so I didn't know that necessarily I liked engineering per se it was kind of the math and science type scores that led me down that path although uh -huh. i guess if you if you go back early childhood i was i was programming software on on commodore 64s for those of you who remember them um, but certainly i said programming is not for me i, I like the built <laughs> environment um and so you know after school it's, it's interesting i i graduated at a dark time in our country um in may of 2001 and so when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do um, and kind of was collecting my thoughts and looking at everything in front of me, 9-11 happened and kind of everything in the country paused and all of the offers that I had had been rescinded. Um, so then it's starting at square one, trying to figure out what to do. I was lucky enough, and I say lucky because I mean it, um, to join a small firm that focused on building commissioning. I will tell you now, as the president of the commissioning building commissioning association, I had no idea what commissioning was, um, and I'm sure we'll get into it in the podcast. That there's plenty of people that still have no idea what commissioning is, yeah. um, but I really got lucky because um, it took the technical aptitude and all the things and the, the math and science that you studied in the university, um, and then it made it practical for me, right? So that you you got your your boots dirty and your hands dirty, and you're in the field and you're trying to make things work. Um, and at the core of what commissioning is, that's really what it is, um, you know, trying to make sure that uh, the performance of facilities, the operation of facilities are kind of as they were supposed to be intended. So I got lucky to kind of jump into that. And after a couple of years, um, you know, in a smaller firm, wanted to get a broader scope of experience from the design perspective as well. So not just jumping into the field, you know, um, without kind of understanding conceptually how things are supposed to operate um, before mm -hmm. you're, you're marking them off as, as not operating properly. Uh, so I got my background in design, got my professional licenses, all that good stuff. Um, and then I said, you know what, let's get back in the field. Um, and so I've been doing that pretty much ever since. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so you mentioned that there's some uh, confusion uh, around commissioning and stuff. What do you find is some of the the biggest misconceptions that the industry really has regarding commissioning? Yeah, I, I think it's, I think the answer is, is simple for me, at least the biggest misconception around commissioning is that it's just functional testing, meaning um, 
coming up, showing up at the end of the project, looking at what's physically in front of you, and then just quote unquote, testing the equipment, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so just to take a step back again and remind all the listeners kind of what the definition of commissioning is. I think a lot of, a lot of folks should be familiar with ASHRAE, um, uh, you know, heating and refrigeration. Mm-hmm. Uh, so ASHRAE guideline zero defines commissioning. It's kind of like the most uh, uh, accepted definition of commissioning. And that is a quality oriented process for achieving, verifying, and documenting the performance of facilities, all the assemblies and systems meet the design intent and the owner's project requirements. So what does that mean? That's a whole lot of words that's kind of confusing at its core. Basically what it means is that what's on paper, what's on the documents, what the designers put forth, the architects, the engineers, et cetera, um, is actually what's built and how it's supposed to operate in the field. And, you know, coming into this industry, um, maybe a little, I would say just unaware of what was going around, you just assume that the building is built exactly to the specs and conditions that are on paper, but we know in reality, it's not always the case. And there's a lot of instances, it's not because people aren't necessarily doing their job, et cetera, but it's because real life things come into play. There's mm-hmm. budget, there's schedules, there's, there's misunderstandings, et cetera. Um, so the building commissioning association, all of the commissioning providers out there, they're trying to kind of overlay this quality assurance process, mm-hmm. um, you know, that goes so far as to confirm that it's in compliance with the documents, right? So like, think of a car, right? Think of a car. Now imagine yeah. instead of building a car in the factory where the cars get built um, in one single factory, now you're taking it and building it in a different place every time. And by the way, no two cars are alike, right? So now you're building a car in a new place every time. No two of them are alike, right? And so everyone has their own tasks. Someone has to do the brakes, Someone has to do the engine, someone has to do the steering, someone has to do the tires, right? And then everybody individually is saying, done, check. I check the boxes, everything's good. Brakes work, engine works, steering works, right, et cetera. But now like who's bringing it all together, right? Right. So does the odometer kind of change? Does the needle move when you're driving? Does the music get lower as you're slowing down? Can you lower one window or, or many windows at a time, right? And so like the integration of your phone now, right? Smart technology in, in the cars, right? So now think of, think of all that and if it wasn't really happening in a building, because basically, you know, if you think years ago, that's basically what was happening. You were, you were putting these, these pieces of equipment in a building um, and everyone was individually checking them, you know, as they were going in, but from a system-wide integration, who's looking at everything? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really what at the core of commissioning it is. It's that process of even getting in early, reviewing the design, witnessing as it as it's installed, going through another third party on the submittals, et cetera. So it's bringing it all together, which is so important because you think of any anything else that's really manufactured and buildings are so custom. Um, if you don't have kind of a single source looking at everything, it's very difficult to manage. Um, so th- from the misconception, and you think of all of that that I kind of described that it goes in that goes into you know any single project. Um, it's not just showing up at the end and making sure that the brakes work or the tires turn or whatever. It's throughout the entire manufacturing process and kind of touching all those different facets um, that it's it's hard to argue with the value proposition. 
Yeah. So how do you go about that and kind of integrating the commissioning thing, which is, you know, mentally kind of, you know, at the end of the, the process, how do you, how do you go about integrating that throughout and having, so it's, so it's more a seamless thing that when you get to the commissioning phase, there's, there's already been some communication and integration to make that process a little smoother. Does that make sense? It does. And, and, you know, so there's like, like anything else. So so commissioning is the difficult part of it is it's invisible, right? Because it's, it's, it's the human factor and it's the process that's happening. So as um, owners and developers start to understand the value proposition of bringing someone in early, catching things on drawings versus catching them after they're purchased, procured, and delivered. Um, you know, coordination issues in the field and deficiencies that we're going to find, you know, picking them up as we're going on versus at the end, then it's an easier discussion. But I will say there's certain um, huge influencers that have helped us over time, like the USGBC and the lead you know, green buildings rating system, right? Commissioning mm-hmm. is a prerequisite. And that's changed over time, the different things that are required. Uh, but that certainly set the tone. Now you're talking 15 plus years ago when that was incorporated um, as a requirement. So, and it said um, it, you need to come in in the spec writing phase, right? In the, in the um, DD phase. Mm-hmm. So that was really critical. Um, and there's some, you know, there's some owners and clients who, who totally are on board and see the value like that. And there's, there's other, you know, uh, potential people that we deal with that, um, you know, want to do the minimum, whatever the energy code is telling you to do or other things. So um, it's, it's not always easy. I'll tell you still now doing this for the last 20 years, it's still kind of uh, all over the place, um, all over the country and all over, you know, each geographical region. Um, but I think for the most part, uh, the value proposition is, is pretty easy um, because if you just look at the numbers, and I, I apologize, I don't have the data in front of me, uh, but, the, but the amount of data for an energy efficient building that's commissioned versus not is just, it's, it's, it's off the charts. Um, I, I can't tell you how many times that I've walked up to call it, you know, any piece of equipment um, on a job you know, typically the ones that are hidden in the ceiling somewhere that no one's looking at. And they say it's, you know, we're ready to test and, and you go up to it and there's no power to it. I mean, so that means no one's even looking, right? So, so mm-hmm. the, the fr- from that standpoint, it just makes a whole, a whole load of sense, um, you know, to start off at the beginning. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. Well, what are the, the trend lines that, that you're noticing around commissioning and maybe how has that been impacted it uh, over the last year, you know, whether that's for the, the better or a uh, negative impact? Got it. Yeah. So, so commissioning and, and um, you know, technology has helped to a certain extent, but I have said um, from early in my career till now that commissioning is about people um, and it's just com- there's, there's process, there's technology, but then there's the people that have to deliver. And so I'm still waiting for a building to be dropped by a drone fully assembled (laughs) and fully functional. 
And until that time happens, It'll be a weird time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, until that time happens, I still think commissioning is all about people. Um, and so the processes may change. But to your point about you know the latest and and through COVID and social distancing and stuff, um, yet we, there there has to be a way or a happy medium where you're getting hands on on the systems that you're looking at. And so um, you know, trust but verify. We say a lot. Um, so. If you're understanding that the systems are calibrated, that they're functioning properly, that you've tested enough of a sample of a certain location, that you're comfortable that everything is functioning properly, then maybe you can do things remotely versus physically, you know, being on site. Um, but that does take a lot to get there, right? You have to have some sort of comfort level that the programming, that the people, that the install um, is all done properly. But I'll tell you that with COVID, um, it's interesting because you know, when everyone thinks of commissioning, uh, typically you're drawn to that new building commissioning process. And when we think about construction, you're, you're typically thinking of new buildings out of the ground, right? Cranes, mm -hmm. lifting, um, steel and structure, et cetera. But what we've seen over the last year, at least in the Northeast region, and I imagine it's very similar elsewhere, um, is that existing portfolio of buildings, which is just, just, you know, massive, at least in, in the New York City, Northeast area, um, we're seeing a lot of retrofits and a lot of changes. And so it's kind of like you go back to the car example that I mentioned earlier. Um, it's kind of like, you know, when you commission your new building and you're doing the quality assurance on the car and the manufacturing line before it's set up and rode off into the sunset, don't you once in a while take your car in for a tune-up get an oil change, maybe not a Tesla, but you know, uh, you, you, you constantly tune it up. You do the oil changes, do the et cetera, right? We need to do the same thing for our building. So what we've seen, because what happens in a building over time, right? You get a cold call and you get a complaint here and there. And you know, these, these poor building operators who do an amazing job are running typically with a staff that's less than they should have. Um, so they're running all over the place, trying to make sure that the building is operating, you know, um, correctly, and they're not getting all these cold complaints and things change. And then someone goes home or there's a holiday or there's a weekend and, and set points are always getting changing. Think about in a building, how many set points are there, right? Um, that you have to maintain. So over time, if you look at a baseline from when the building was um, put up to when it is now, typically that trend line is a little bit different. And what you're trying to do in going into these existing buildings over time and going back into them is you're trying to bring that back up to the baseline, right? Mm -hmm. So what we've seen over at least the last year is a drop in the new construction, um, which I think is, you know, basically across, across the board, but an increase on the existing building portfolio and trying to make sure, especially with all these different cities that have um, these new guidelines, um, some of the penalties um, for, you know, energy usage. And what we're seeing is them, um, these owners, these developers, these operating facilities managers, trying to make sure they're utilizing, um, you know, their buildings to the, the most efficient way possible. And that's, you know, really kind of looking at all those things and, and quote, unquote, you know, recommissioning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, do you see that uh, not really slowing down either as, as the commercial real estate game is shifting and my assumption would be you know even the the offices that exist now are going to have to be kind of retooled away from the, the open office environment that 
it has or you know into the hoteling environment potentially um that to me that would only increase the need for retrofit over the next few years yeah i mean i i think so you you know it's 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 a whole mix i i read recently about um you know, some big companies just forcing their employees to come back and, and saying this is where the magic happens. And I, I've seen a whole slew of, of hybrid arrangements and, and um, you know, and, and some of them just going full remote. But I think regardless, what, what you're definitely going to see um, is a lot of uh, fit out changes over the next, you know, year or two as companies are trying to figure out. Um, you know, how they get the staff um, back. And so mm -hmm. that's definitely going to trigger um, some design changes that's definitely going to trigger how, how we're operating. Um, I mean, you know, just from the standpoint of um, central systems um, that are distributing air on a, on a given floor, just uniformly versus changing that space to, you know, either hot desking, hoteling, like you're talking about, or requiring personal air for each individual seat versus, you know, a standard terminal unit for many seats versus, you know, eliminating conference rooms and making it open seating. Mm -hmm. um, all of those things will trigger, you know, changes in design and therefore, you know, um, changes in operation for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, circling back to the, your trust, but verify statement around the, the technology. Uh, when, do you or you know can, should you have that confidence in the technology and are, are there certain kind of benchmarks that that you look for yeah i so so sticking with the technology theme um you know our our industry has been notoriously slow to adopt the technology and you probably know this much better than me todd but um, especially on the you know engineering side mechanical electrical and then commissioning side there hasn't been so many tools of recent, it's exponentially, you know, gone up. But sure. one thing that's really interesting based on your question um, is all these new fault detection and diagnostic tools. And the reason I'm bringing it up is, is because like you asked, um, it, it gives a vision into how your building is operating and therefore gives you confidence in how the building is supposed to perform. So let me give you an example. Um, simultaneous heating and cooling. What does that mean? Simultaneous heating and cooling is when you're both heating and cooling in the same system to output a given temperature, right? And so uh, at the end of the day, the user knows nothing about the simultaneous heating and cooling because if the discharge air temperature is at 55 degrees, let's just say they're getting their nice, you know, 72 degree room that feels very comfortable and they're, you know, happy and relaxed, but up in the uh, mechanical room where their air handler is feeding that space, you're now running your heating coil and your cooling coil at the same time. Again, mm -hmm. if nobody's looking at this, you're gonna have no idea that it's happening. So these fault detection and diagnostic tools are smart technologies that read and understand these rules that say, why are both my heating coil and my cooling coil open at the same time? That's not supposed to happen. Here's my dashboard here's a problem. Same mm -hmm. thing if you're running, you know, too much electricity, um, let's just say in the wintertime, why do you have so much electricity load in the wintertime when all of your heating is coming from hot water, let's just say, um, you know, same thing. The interesting part is maybe there's really not a problem, but from the standpoint of saving financial dollars, um, you have 
an air handling unit that's supposed to be discharging, let's just say 55 degrees off the coil and you're discharging 53. Now you say, well, in the grand scheme of things, what's two degrees doesn't make a big deal. Over the course of a year, you could be talking millions of dollars in, in utility costs if um, you have a large enough building and your utility bills are high, which they certainly are in the Northeast. Um, and so having systems like that are so critical and, and it, it honestly blows my mind why this is not a bigger deal, why every facility manager doesn't have one of these um, tools at their disposal and a dashboard that they're looking at every day um, because it's so easy to set up and write these rules. Um, but to your point, all of these systems, these set, these uh, transmitters that are in the building need to be calibrated. You need to be confident that they're operating, you know, the right way so that the data you're pulling in from these fault detection tools, you know, can be assumed to be, you know, re real, real data. Um, and so, you know, the technology, the future technology is exciting. I know that's not, you know, Boston Dynamics robots and stuff like that, but, but that kind of, momentum shift is huge in our industry. And so you can probably, if you have a smart enough mind, find these things on your own and I can walk around a building. And if I look hard enough, maybe I can find those things, but isn't it nice to have everything talking to a centralized, you know, computer database that's picking up all these different components and, and spitting out rules and showing me where to focus my time. Um, so, you know, but again, all of that, only works um, if you go in and check it at, at the very beginning. Hey, innovators. Over the last year hosting this podcast, recording over 65 episodes with the greatest minds throughout the construction industry, I started to notice common themes in each episode. We've had waves of disruption and a digital transformation impacting every aspect of construction and the leadership skills required to successfully navigate these waters. The simple fact is, there are those who allow themselves to be carried along by the waves of changes taking place. And there are others who want to take an active part in changing things for the better. In my opinion, during times of disruption, good leadership is all the more important. People will follow a compelling vision and are looking for leaders to pave the way no matter where they are in the industry. So I decided to compile my thoughts into an ebook for my listeners. You can download my new ebook titled Leading Through Disruption and Digital Transformation for free at bridgingthegappod.com slash ebook. Once you do, I'd love to hear your feedback. As always, keep innovating. Yeah. So you said that it kind of blows your mind that operators don't have that, that nice dashboard that they can look at everything and, and see it all in one spot. Now, what are some of the, the hurdles in uh in getting to that that world where everybody has that that nice handy dashboard yeah it, it it's i wish i had the answer um <laughs> because if i had the answer I, I would probably double down um on that type of work but i think what it comes down to is um a it's new um and and just you know certain people just are are i guess fear of the unknown sure. um it also costs money and as we know, there are budgets and limitations to operating a building of what you have to work with. Um, and so, you know, there are some buildings and we're talking some of these newer buildings over the last 20 years or so that have um, the amount of sensors and transmitters and et cetera, all the hardware necessary in a building to kind of, you know, pull back onto that dashboard. 
but there's plenty of other buildings that operate just in silos. And, you know, over the last 40 years, you know, there's been patchwork and other things to just build it up. Um, so it's a functional building, but nothing centrally talking to each other. Um, so that's part of it also, because then that would be a much more incremental, um, you know, exponential cost, I should say, um, to get it up to speed where dashboard would be available. Um, and, and the last reason I would say is the interesting part is we're getting into a time, or maybe we're already there, where cybersecurity is a major concern. Mm -hmm. um, and so anything really that's connected to the internet, that the, the IoT that could have the potential for a breach um, is certainly concerning to a certain amount of, of clients. Um, you know, potentially you're putting something on the cloud that someone could get into and then, you know, operate your building or move your elevators or, you know, turn off your outside air to your building or something like that. Of course, these are, you know, doomsday scenarios, but not far um, from, you know, potential something happening um, in, in worst case. So, you know, for all those reasons, and they're, they're all legitimate, um, you know, cost security and, and kind of the, the awareness of the unknown, um, but it's risk reward. Um, and, and the risk, uh, sorry, and the reward in my, in, in my opinion, uh, with the cost savings and the extra life expectancy on your building, et cetera, um, in my opinion, far outweighs any, any sort of risk. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so it, there's a lot of kind of balancing going on. It seems like in, in the commission, what are some of, um, maybe some of your tips for balancing the options and driving the efficiency and effectiveness of the building. We need to remember that designing an efficient building isn't enough. And we need to remember that building an efficient building, like the construction of it, isn't enough. Uh -huh. Just think of the timeline of a building, right? Compare that to the amount of time that the building is, is operational after it's designed and constructed. So if you think of just the design and construction, you're thinking of anywhere from you know one to four to five years. And then you think of the life of that building, you could push that out 50 plus years. So we have to think about more than just, you know, the design and construction and, and more about the life of the building and how it's used. And that's why commissioning is so important, right? Not only does it set up the baseline for your building when it starts um, to make sure you're starting off right but also part of the commissioning process, like I mentioned at the beginning, not just functional testing, it also includes training of the building operations staff. And why is that so important? Because like I mentioned earlier, no two buildings are alike, they're all unique, right? So training is important because um, this building may have some sort of special system operations where you know you're running more efficient chill or lower chilled water than the previous one, or you have you know smarter technologies and security systems, you know are much more um, in tune than your previous building, and so the operators that are moving and going into this new building kind of need to understand how to operate that, and that's all again part of the handoff, the handshake at the end. It's not you know drop the drawings in your lap and say we're off to the next one. Mm -hmm. It's really that connection. Um, from handoff to operations. So, you know, hopefully, and then hopefully, like I mentioned, the fault detection, et cetera, continuously improving and continuous improvement to monitor that building going forward. Um, and so, you know, I think it's important when you talk about balancing the options and in, in, in efficiency um, and, you know, the lead plaque on the wall is excellent and everybody wants it, but you need to maintain that 
um, you know, that, that efficiency, that operation over time. And, and a lot of the local governments, states, cities, et cetera, they're all picking up on this. Um, and now they're kind of moving towards, you know, penalties for utility consumption um, over some sort of baseline that they've, you know, selected for your type of building and the size, et cetera. So that's directly related to how you're operating your building. Um, so, so all of that is kind of part of why, um, obviously, I'm, I, I get pretty excited about commissioning, why, why the whole process is so important, because it's, you know, we focus a lot on that initial stage, which is really typically less than 10% of the life of the building. And mm-hmm. we should be thinking, you know, forward, how do we help our facilities, operations, teams, et cetera, maintain the building for, uh, for the life of it? Yeah, uh, it's interesting. If we look kind of that five to 10 year uh, down the road, what do you think has changed in regards to commissioning? What's changed? Uh, so here, here's, <laughs> here's how I see it. Um, it's more whole building commissioning. So if you look back 20 years, um, commissioning wasn't around, wasn't a kind of a, an everyday term, right? And it was, it was solely focused on the HVAC, the mechanical systems. Mm-hmm. Right. And even 20 years ago, you said, why am I even testing these mechanical systems? Going back to the whole car example. Right. You know, I tested my portion of it. Everything works. Let's move on. Um, and so we realized very quickly that, you know, there was there was a lot of value in commissioning all these HVAC systems. And so now, five to 10 years down the road, we're going to be doing we're going to be laughing about the same thing when it comes to the building envelope and when it comes to smart technology like um, people counters and turnstiles and, um, you know, cybersecurity. There is, I could count on my hand how many people I know that are in the cybersecurity commissioning business. Same thing, by the way, for all the smart devices, Um, but it's going to happen. So that's five, 10 years down the road. When I say whole building commissioning, that's the concept. It's going to be not just the HVC and the electrical and the fire protection. That's going to be not no longer 95% of the building, that may be 60% of the building with the other 40% picking up a lot of the low voltage items, um, a lot of the IT networks, um, you know, like I said, the cyber, the fault detection and predictive kind of analysis um, we mentioned earlier, both for, you know, energy efficiency and for end of life. And so I think five, 10 years down the road, commissioning will own the whole project from start to finish. Um, if you think of the earlier definition that you're confirming that the building is operating in accordance with the owner's project requirements, mm-hmm. like we should own it from the owner's project requirements all the way till acceptance and turnover at the end. Um, right. So that's, it's, it may be hard to see now for some, um, but you know, these buildings are becoming more complicated. They're going up faster. There's newer technology, you know, being incorporated into all these buildings Um, And so I think, you know, there's going to have to be someone that oversees all that. Create a common data environment for your team with 360 Sync. 360 Sync automatically transfers, organizes, and archives project files across applications. It is the only way to automatically sync project files between your server, Procore, BIM 360, Bluebeam, or any other platform you use. 360 Sync is the only document management system designed by and for the AEC industry. 
users have automatically transferred over 1 million files and over 2 million syncs. Set it and forget it. Create a common data environment for your team today using 360 Sync. Visit asti.com slash 360 Sync for more information. Yeah, interesting. So one of the um, trends that I'm really curious about is around digital twins. Where do you see that kind of fitting into commissioning uh, over the, the next few years? Yeah, where I, I think it's like the fault detection that I mentioned earlier, it's it's being um, the adoption is, you know, going slower than I than I would have expected to be quite honest, but um, commissioning is going to be a big part of it. So there's the digital twin that has all the records, right? So as you're designing the building, you're incorporating all the records into the digital twin. But beyond that, um, it's a living, breathing, you know, twin of the building, and therefore it needs to be accurate. So I think the hardest part that we're seeing right now is the data collection. Um, and so right now, the data collection, like the commission example uh, with the car, is just scattered mm. with probably 20 different consultants. Um, and that's where I, I see the most difficult position. And so there are a couple of jobs that I'm involved in. Um, you know, that we're taking on the onus of basically populating the entire database with all the information in the physical building once it starts getting, you know, starts getting built. Because, uh, you know, again, to be an accurate representation of the building, um, all the data needs to be accurate for what that is in the building, which could be different from the drawings or the submittals. Um, you know, so, so, but it's, it's going to be huge. I mean, there's, Right now, there's probably, you know, I don't know, you tell me thousands of, you know, cloud-based software analytics tools that any engineer, architect, owner, developer could use. Yeah. Um, the nice part about the digital twin is it should be agnostic enough to kind of pull of all of those in together, because I have to imagine it is painful for anyone maintaining, operating a building, um, to remember all of their logins to the building <laughs> as opposed to just, you know, their standard banking and shopping um, websites as well. So the, the nice part of a digital, it pulls it all together and then it's seamless, right? right. Walking around. I mean, from my, my vantage point where, where I, the, the area where I live, which is kind of, you know, in the machine rooms and stuff, you know, having an, having a, a tablet with you and pulling up and scanning a QR code. I know that's even old technology now and pulling up all the stuff on the digital twin uh, for all the history of any piece of equipment, how it's operating when the last person to do the work order was um, huge, huge benefit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Well, how do people get a hold of you and find out more about what you're doing, Ryan? <laughs> um, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, feel free to reach out. Awesome. Sounds good. Last question for you. What does innovation mean to you? Innovation. Um, I think we have, so I live in the engineering world. I, I was grown up there. I think I'm, I'm pragmatic by nature, practical from the way I, I think of things. Um, and innovation is hard um, by nature because, um, you know, when we're using our professional engineering license and when we're looking at things to make sure um, or to ensure that something's going to work, typically uh, you go with the tried and true method, something that's happened already that you know is probably going to work. Um, 
And so for engineers, you know, I think innovation, part of the reason it's been longer to adopt a lot of these technologies is because um, we've done it before and that's the way it works. But I think at the end of the day, those, those are some of the most dangerous things you can ever say um, that this is the way we've always been doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I think innovation to me is just, you know, kind of uh, having an open mindset um, and trying to look at things from a different vantage point and seeing, um, you know, uh, uh, both sides of some opportunity, whether it be, you know, new technology or a new way to, you know, work in commissioning and, and, and a new process that we've laid out. Um, so, you know, it, it, to me, it's just kind of eyes wide open, um, looking towards the future and, 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 you know, continuous improvement. Yeah, that's great. I, I, I have never thought of, uh, the, the engineering mind and how that, that kind of factors into the whole concept of innovation before. That's really interesting. I like it. <laughs> hey, yeah. It's a di totally different mindset. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. It is. it is. It is. No one ever, um, I, I say this all the time. No one really ever calls me to thank me for a job well done. It's usually calling me to complain that something didn't, you know, work out the way they intended. So <laughs> the engineering mindset is always like, you know, protective in nature, you know, trying yeah. to make sure that, uh, that everything is going to work out in the best way possible. So I think, I truly think that's why innovation is so hard for a lot of, um, engineering mindset people, um, because, you know, you, you're, you're continually on typically on the defensive, um, to make sure that, that everything's working, working well all the time. But, uh, but again, that that's going to hold everyone back, um, from, you know, future improvements. So, uh, eyes wide open, my opinion. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. Well, yeah, Ryan, thanks so much for joining the show. Really appreciated the conversation. Thanks for having me, Todd. Much appreciated. And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take, as with most things, trust, but verify. Commissioning is no different. Second take, Ryan said, we need to remember that designing and building an efficient building isn't enough. It's critical for us to think more about the life cycle of the building over the next 50 years instead of just focusing on the design and building of it. Having a building tune-up periodically, much like your car, is so important to ensure proper operational efficiencies. And finally, Ryan made an interesting point around the engineering mind having a built-in hurdle with innovation. That mindset is by nature always making sure everything works the whole time. It requires them to step more outside of their comfort zone to try a new innovation. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is directed and produced by Todd Wyant. Edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2021.